0: And welcome into another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm publisher Billy Emboddy. Alongside with me on this edition, Shay Dixon of Go 24-7. Shay, what's up, my man? How was the week?
1: Well, busy. I, uh, I've been kind of uh, traveling a good bit uh, over, over the past couple of weeks, but also working some. Not completely slacking off. Uh, but I came back. Well, actually, when I was gone, uh, you ha- had to handle a bunch of stuff. Um, the AD change, uh, there was, I think there was some other stuff mixed in there with Will with, with Wade, uh, and the reinstatement is is what it was. Uh, and now that I'm back, we're heavy on recruiting. Uh, and geez, from three official visitors with Lathan Ransom and Marlon Martinez and Rakeem Jarrett uh, to them landing Jarrett, uh, getting another five-star in addition to Elias Ricks, uh, moving up to the number one class, and then this sort of weird one-hour span on Monday night Uh, We're kind of out of left field, right? At least for the moment uh, or the timing of it with both drew Sanders flips from Oklahoma to Bama. They take the number one spot and then LSU lands Antoine Samp out of Virginia, a big time Dave Aranda linebacker target. uh, And that was probably even a little bit more out of left field. uh, And that happened within the hour. LSU jumps back to the number one spot. uh, And I've said it on the board, Billy, but this is the reality. And obviously uh, college football games are, are yes or are one on the field, and, uh, and you like to win these big recruiting battles. But uh, you're going to get a shot at Bama each year. And if you're in the playoffs, you're potentially getting a shot at Clemson. But uh, they're the teams that have been, A, recruiting uh, at the highest clip and sending them to the NFL, and uh, B, competing for these recent national championships. And uh, for us to sit here in May uh, you know after a busy spring stretch and say, look, Clemson's class is being hyped up as maybe their all-time best, Uh, Alabama's class is uh, as good as it always is. And and their number one uh, kind of spot in the ranking is is there for uh, the taking almost every year. I think it was like seven out of eight years, maybe more, uh, that they had the top class. And then LSU. uh, And I know people kind of get confused by the points and the team rankings and all that. But uh, a normal class, you know, of a top 10, 15 class will have 240, 250 points in it. Uh, LSU has 14 commits right now. And they're in that range at 250 something points. Uh, Bam and Clemson are right there, and then nobody else is above 200. Uh, I think Miami might have snagged a commit to move right above 200. But point being, if if you're swinging with uh, the big dogs with Bam and Clemson and landing uh, big blows along the way, like we've seen them do over the past month or two, uh, I think this is the most desirable recruiting position LSU's been in in a long time.
0: You're right, Shay, and and. You, you mentioned all of the things that have happened, especially on the recruiting side of things, since you, you've gotten back. Let's let's break that down a little bit, right? Uh, we've covered the official visitors. If you want updates on guys like Mar- Marlon Martinez, Latham, Ransom, um, who I just put a crystal ball pick in for LSU to land, we've got those on go 24-7. I want to focus right now on the two commitments over the last few days uh, for LSU, and I want to start with uh, the big news from last night, and that's Woodbridge linebacker. Antoine Sampa, who jumped on board. He's the number two inside linebacker in the country. Um, Shay, you, you had a good beat on this, and, and you know our 24-7 analysts, Steve Wiltfong and Brian Doan, did as well. Um, tell us a little bit about the nation's number two linebacker, inside linebacker on the 24-7 sports composite and how this came to be.
1: Well, this was all Dave Aranda. Uh, and, I mean, when he gets things done, it's kind of like his personality. It's quiet. Uh, and LSU, remember back in March – he put out a top eight that LSU wasn't even on. Uh, They got him to campus after that. Uh, They obviously got right back into the mix. I know Brian Doan, uh, who covers sort of the Northeast for us at 24-7, had an update a few weeks back where after, excuse me, after Sampa visited, he said that it was, LSU's been recruiting me for a long time and come to find out when I was digging around last night, uh, Dave Arane has been on him since his freshman year. So this is, two and a half years of of recruiting going in. But he said, until I actually visited, it was way different than I expected it to be. Uh, And he said that sort of everything fit for him. And it sounded just like being nice about a school that he had visited. Everyone thought he was going to Clemson. Bama was a major player. Uh, Penn State and these other teams are in it. Uh, And LSU was sort of an afterthought. And Dave Aranda goes in there and gets the job done. And uh, I'm sure that it doesn't hurt that LSU has the number one class that they've recruited um, kind of the eastern seaboard, really his area. I mean, he's playing in Virginia. Uh, they landed a Washington, D.C. commit. They've got DeMont Clowney out of Maryland. So uh, they're recruiting uh, kind of his territory as hard as any team out there. Uh, that doesn't hurt. Devin White going top five and winning the Budkas doesn't hurt. Being close to Dave Aranda, uh, kind of getting down and getting to see what Ed on and the whole staff makeup is. And and LSU being uh, kind of relevant, right? Again, not that you know they're not relevant each year, but more so than in recent years, given they went to a New Year's Six Bowl for the first time, they won, uh, and they played out West. And we saw a lot of the kids from California and Arizona go to their bowl practices. So uh, I think really it's a combination of a lot of the things I mentioned, but Aranda, A, finding guys he liked and going for them, and B, LSU spreading their wings and and really being able to put in some work on guys not just in the Southeast and uh, it ultimately paying off for them.
0: Yeah, great point. Uh, you you mentioned Dave Veranda's quiet nature and how uh, he landed uh, Samp on this one. Uh, another one that was kind of quietly done, but LSU was a lot more in it. The noise around this one was a lot louder going into the weekend. We had our story ready to go on Go Twenty Four Seven when he did pop, and and that was Rakeem Jarrett, uh, five star wide receiver out of out of the Washington D.C. area. Uh, Shay some serious speed here with with Jarrett. Uh, he comes into a loaded wide receiver class with three top forty pl- uh, prospects on the twenty four seven Sports composite, um, and and three top eight wide receivers on the composite. Um, tell me a little bit about Rakeem Jarrett, and and this one was was an interesting one to track, even with the buzz around it.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, we just it was one of those things where he had made a Tennessee visit and a lot of people thought he was going to wind up at Tennessee and sort of be the bell cow of the class for them. Uh, And then he comes down and as you said, LSU sources had kind of felt confident about this. Right. And um, I think we're just getting used to what their confidence means with guys who aren't from around here, you know, that are from Washington, DC. And, and they say, look, we've been putting in the time. You talk to people around the kids and they say, look, LSU's made a big splash Uh, and they got him and uh, his family to campus. And, Uh, It was one of those things where, I think it was Saturday, uh, he shared pictures, actually they're going around and and it is pretty cool, where the moment he committed to Coach O when they were in the locker room uh, doing a photo shoot, you can obviously tell Coach O uh, is pretty pumped up, but uh, this gives him a five star, as you said, Um, you mentioned the composite top eight uh, receivers uh, on 24-7, they're all in the top seven. So, I mean, we're talking sort of consensus across the board Everybody agrees that the three guys they have committed are, are really elite, and uh, Jared is. Look, he had he had been warm on LSU. I think this is one. Yeah, they'll have to battle all the way to signing day with, but that's the case with everybody. I don't think that uh, you would put any guy in the ultimate lock category, um, and certainly not someone from as far away as Washington D.C. So uh, I think that we'll watch him, but as a prospect, Billy. I mean, I know you've talked about it on the board. You like him because. At six foot one ninety, you can kind of play inside or out. That wouldn't really be a big issue. Um, but you mentioned it. Speed is probably what jumps off the page. Um, he looks tough on film. He certainly um, does a good job of tracking the ball and uh, is really tough for anyone to get uh, a body on him and, and keep up with him just because of how good of a route runner he is. Uh, I think that he complements well with, like, you look at what they've got, and Jermaine Burton is your guy who's already run a verified four four three you know he's six one one ninety um you can jump 37 inches uh shuttles four one so he's a bit of your do it all right like he is just a freaky outside wide receiver uh and then you've got a guy like Butte who maybe from a raw in this perspective is probably behind the other two and and he's certainly right behind i think he's like seven and and then or excuse me he's eight and Burtons seven so kind of in that range together but uh, he's got comparisons by Gabe Brooks to T.Y. Hilton uh, of the Indianapolis Colts. And I think why we like him is, when we saw him first, you know, Billy, that he can play he can play offense or defense. Like if he had to play corner, he'd be good enough to play corner. Um, they're going to play him at receiver. Uh, I think he can play inside out. Um, but I also think that the one thing you like about him is probably something you like about Jarrett is how fast he is. But even uh, to that next level, uh, we're talking about what Boutte was – when he ran it in March was a 28-7 in the 200, which was the third fastest uh, 200 time of anybody in the country uh, at that point. I'd have to check to see. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably still a top-five time. But uh, regardless, those guys, other guys who are top-five times, uh, I promise they're not in this group of top-ten receivers we're talking about. So he's your elite burner, uh, and I think if they can develop him into uh, an elite pass catcher, he has a chance to be as dangerous as anybody in this group. Uh, and Billy, you look, we've seen him. Coy Moore's had a great spring. We know Jakai Douglas is out there. Um, they're on some other national receivers, but you probably would have circled uh, this little group as the guy they were going after hardest. So, with turnover coming on the roster, I bet they could add another. Uh, and if it is a guy like Coy Moore, uh, let's say, for instance, you do get a Louisiana kid in the fold uh, in addition to Butte, uh, you've got the two best players in state at receiver and two of the best receivers. Uh, around the country and and there would be no argument to to who had the number one recruiting class in the country when it comes to wide receivers
0: yeah and and put that I I guess into perspective LSU's done a really good job signing cornerbacks I mean arguably one of the top cornerbacks uh, classes in the country last year Um, you know headlined by Derek Stingley and 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 the top running back class in the country I think with without a doubt with John Emery and uh, Ty Davis last year this year they go receiver in terms of this elite talent kind of put that into perspective and how did they manage to get this trio together um, because they do kind of all have some similar traits
1: you know I think what their smart play was is that early on they weren't afraid to go ahead and get their feet wet with some receivers and at that point it was Darren Turner who was a top 100 prospect and it was Chris Abrams drain out of Alabama state that they were an R uh, attempting to recruit pretty heavily. Uh, so they get those two guys in the boat, uh, and what they did was is just continue their evals, and sure, they probably had some guys higher on the board than them at the time, uh, but they weren't making that headway yet. But uh, you fl- flash, for- uh, flash forward uh, a year later even, uh, we've seen things completely shift. We've seen them then identify guys that they've liked a little bit more, they've gone after a little bit harder. In that sp- uh, span of time, they, they had boote into the fold, uh, and had him as a firm commitment, so you kind of begin to reshape the board, and we saw both Darren Turner and Chris Abrams' reign slide a little bit back in the rankings. Now, look, they're going to end up SEC-type guys, but LSU prioritized some others, both sides sort of mutually parted ways, and here we are not a month or two after the dust settled from all that, and they've got Burton on board out of California, they've got Jared on board out of D.C., Um, And certainly from a rankings perspective, and and I think it would be argued from a talent perspective, uh, they've upgraded with both. And and now all of a sudden their class went from a couple of nice top two, four, seven early receivers on board to three of the top seven receivers in the country. So I think it was just a matter of uh, getting out there with evals across the board. If you could get a couple of guys in good, but don't let that define you the rest of the way, Um, continue to recruit as hard as you can. And, and as we said, we've got nine months left and we've already seen how much can change in just a year.
0: Yeah. Shay, you bring up some great points in terms of the turnover of the class. I mean, a lot of those guys like Darren Turner and, and Chris Abrams Dream. you would have thought would be in the class from you know beginning to end, just the way they kind of talked about LSU early on. And you know, things change on on the recruiting front all the time. And um it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this this class together. Uh, of receivers especially I mean but but all three guys really do seem at least right now as the the um, not the ink is drying but the the tweets are are just fresh that that they all seem like they're relatively in the in the boat uh, for good and, and that's a good thing for LSU and they're still looking to add more five stars you had a great piece up on go 24-7 highlighting those uh, on on Tuesday those names that are out there are some big ones one of them's a flip candidate And you can check them all out at Go247, but I know you wanted to highlight one, and it's one that could continue the California pipeline.
1: Yeah, and look, if they've already got a couple of five stars committed. They're probably recruiting most of, I mean, 30-something five stars right now, 32 maybe on the composite. Uh, They're certainly recruiting a bulk of that group, even the committed ones. But to have two in the boat and still have five, six, seven realistic options out there um, is great. I mean, it's right on par with the type of class they're putting together. Uh, and I wrote the piece, and I picked out five guys. I thought, look, these are probably the guys that uh, they have the best shot with. And um, a couple of running backs, an offensive tackle. Uh, I'd have to to refresh myself on the piece. Let me see, uh, a linebacker, and I know they just landed a big one, um, the number one athlete in the country, who could be one of the best tight ends. But uh, I will circle Kendall Milton and. I don't know if LSU has absolutely the best chance with him, um, but I do want to talk about him because I think it's been relative to what's been going on. And uh, Milton made what his visit to LSU, an unofficial on spring break, He visited a number of schools, but this was a couple of few weeks back. I think uh, it was maybe just a couple weeks ago when he was on campus, he's the number three running back in the country. Where is he from? He's from California and he's buddies with all of these California kids that are the elite guys in the class, a handful of which are currently committed to LSU, whether it be uh, Elias Rick, Sir Jermaine Burton, um, Jade Navarrete, obviously flipped to Oregon, but they've also got Jordan Berry in the boat. So you get the sense that there'll be three, four, maybe more California kids that wind up at LSU in this class. And Milton's name's right there at the top. And uh, I know this, and you've already said it. Last year they signed John Emory and Ty Davis. It was their best running back haul Um, since Fournette and Daryl Williams. um, By definition of where they were ranked, it was probably a better one because uh, John Emery was also the number one running back in the country, and Ty Davis was, I think, the number six running back in the country on 24-7. So they land two really elite guys, and can they then go turn around and get another five-star? Well, they're swinging for the fences, and and Milton's the guy that uh, I feel like of the five-stars that are out there, and Zach Evans is in the North Shore in Houston, but uh, I like their chances with Milton, and uh, these kids, what they were all talking up uh, the recent wave by LSU, where Jarrett committing Jermaine Burton, Antoine Sampa. Uh, and it's been Kendall Milton who has been kind of tweeting about, uh, and look, we're bringing up tweets. These are how these kids communicate. They're 17. Don't blame me for it, but uh, they are kind of hyping up. Hey, uh, am I next? I need to get back on a visit. Uh, he's going to come on an official. I think that they've got some real like momentum here that can be tangible that, Something they can work with. And uh, do I think that they ultimately get him? Maybe not. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there battling for him. Uh, he's a top 25 prospect, uh, regardless of the composite or our 24-7 rankings. And um, when you mentioned Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, uh, these teams can give you a run for your money. But I do think that if LSU can keep this momentum going, sitting on the number one class, they have a way better shot at him now than they had even two, three months ago.
0: Great, great points on, on, on all those guys, but Kendall Milton especially. I mean, that, that California pipeline is so key um, for LSU in this 2020 class, and the way they keep it going would be to get another five-star on, on board, and one that is, as soon as Elias Ricks committed, I mean, that was the first guy that really stood out, um, that everyone pointed to and said, look at this. I mean, he must have Elias Ricks on Twitter alerts. He was so quick to quote-tweet it and say, oh, boy, you know, go Tigers. And I think he even – I think LSU did a really nice job of of sending out um edits right after with with those three guys it was I believe it was Rick's Burton and and Milton in the three I could I, there could be one guy different in that but I think it was a a three three some of uh California prospects one being Rick's and and one being uh Milton and saying hey jump on board you know Cal, you know Cali to the boot and all that stuff so LSU's making a lot of headway with with uh, Milton I think in terms of getting him excited about the thought of of heading to LSU.
1: You know, uh, one thing too, that I would say to keep in mind here is you, if you're an LSU fan listening to the podcast and you want these guys to stick, I would root for USC to suck this year because all of these kids were early on considered USC leads. And you can even go into the Justin flow group, the number one linebacker in the country. Um, if USC continues to struggle, I think that's a big reason. The fact that UCLA and USC aren't very good right now, has allowed LSU, mainly LSU, to get into California, use Ed Orgeron's connections, uh, and absolutely pound it. So I don't think USC UCLA is really a threat for any of these guys, to be honest. But I would say that if USC struggles again, that probably helps LSU hold on to these guys.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's almost a, as if over the last few months they've just kind of become irrelevant with, with these guys. And I know there was some USC buzz around Elias Ricks when he when it started to leak out that he was transferring to Modern Day, um, he shut that down with, with our Greg Biggin. So if you missed that, go to Go247 as well. Uh, check it out. Elias Rick's breaking down um, his transfer from USC, why he's doing it so that he can enroll early at LSU um, next January and in, in 2020 and, and get on campus. But, um, yeah, if you're an LSU van, USC not having a great year would be huge. Um, we're going to wrap up this segment of the podcast. I want to remind you guys to – Head over to wherever you listen to the Go 24-7 podcast and leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the podcast. Share, share it with your friends. You know, Tell everybody you know about it. But right now we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little NFL draft. A few LSU Tigers went in the NFL draft, which was over this past weekend. And then I'll get Shay's uh, last thoughts on uh, Scott Woodward being hired as AD. We haven't talked about it yet. So stick around, and we'll be right back after this.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: And welcome back to the Go Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I'm Billy Umbody and with me, Shay Dixon. Continuing on, but we look back uh, to this weekend where LSU had a big day to start Thursday night prime time in Nashville. Butkus Award winner Devin White goes number five overall to Tampa Bay. Just the latest LSU player to head over to uh, the NFC South rival of the New Orleans Saints. Shea, um, what did you make of Devin White going to Tampa Bay? It seemed like he was pegged there all along.
1: Yeah, that was like Derek Stingley signing with LSU. I figured, I mean, every mock draft had that. Uh, It seemed pretty evident that Bruce Arians, or, or at least their front office, had circled uh Devin is the guy they wanted and the real I guess the irony of it or or at least the fun part of it for LSU is they got two guys paid out of this because the Bucks needed a middle linebacker because Quan Alexander took a massive paycheck to go to the 49ers uh, and they obviously replaced him with uh, another LSU former LSU linebacker uh, in Devin White so uh, I like the pick uh get live 41 is what his new go-to will be I guess because Forty is a, a special number for the Bucks. I believe that is Mike Alstott's old uh, jersey number. You can probably confirm that as a Tampa native.
0: You 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 nailed it. You nailed it. The A Train man. He was the best. He was he was unbelievable. Yeah, we, it was funny that uh, no one picked that up until the Bucks announced the rookie numbers. Because and I didn't even think about it either. Um, just kind of you're going through it on the fly. But yeah, retired uh, jersey number in in Tampa and uh, one of the best to ever suit up in the in the uh, Bucks uniforms.
1: You're kind of tamped out right now because from Tampa, you like the Bucs. Uh Brad Johnson, your Super Bowl winning quarterback's son, is a commitment you're having to cover in Max Johnson. Uh, and now you've got Devin White uh, heading over to the Bucks as well. So for a guy that works for the Redskins, you've kind of got some Buck stuff going on.
0: Oh, my my brother's pretty amped. He's diehard Tampa uh, to his core still, and, and he loved the pick. And, and we were talking about it uh, after the draft about just kind of, you know what player they're getting, and and I mean, I think Devin's going to be, I mean, talk about an All-Pro type of guy. I think really those are the expectations for him, and somebody that, um, <laughs> for years and years to come. I mean, as long as the Bucks don't mess it up, which as of late they've kind of had a tendency to to do. But um, yeah, Devin White, what a terrific fit in Tampa area of need, and and uh, they get one of the best. Uh, I mean, you know, the best guy in the draft to to slide into the middle of their defense. Um, that was day one for LSU. It was a big one. They thought greedy Williams would go off the board in the first day, but instead he slips, uh, all the way down to the 14th pick of the second round where he goes to, I mean, what might as well be called the LSU North at this point, uh, tiger stadium, North, uh, Cleveland Browns, Odell Beckham, Jr. Jarvis Landry, and all those guys up there now going to be joined by greedy Williams. And he'll have, uh, quite the time defending those guys in training camp this fall. But what do you think of greedy sliding to a, a team that has an Alabama grad as a head coach, but certainly has an LSU connection now?
1: Yeah, Fred Kitchens. Um, I would say that – let me start here. I don't – I knew that teams had some questions about greedy, but I can't in, even now pinpoint – like I don't think that tackling or the lack of tackling – or whatever issues he might have had there were like the reason he dropped. Like I, I'm not completely buying that because we're not sitting around every draft talking about how elite tackler this corner is, you know, and, and it wasn't, it's not like this was a deep corner draft anyways. So to hold on to that is a reason not to take him. I think it had to be uh, more things. And, and I'm also not totally believing it's sitting out of the bowl game. A lot of guys sat out of the bowl game and this year and last year and didn't really matter at all. So, I don't know if he caught a bad rap or something or if it was that his agent didn't have a meeting with enough teams and he didn't get to uh, sort of kind of write any doubts that they had about it. But I do think that he probably falls into a nice spot because, uh, let's be real, there is a ton of hype around the Browns right now. He'll have a lot of eyes on them. They'll probably win more games, certainly, than they've been winning uh, in previous years. And you get to go to a team where Baker Mayfield's your It's like a stud team of like, you know, you're all college name guys. I mean, you've got Chubb. Uh, well, they signed Kareem Hunt. Uh, I mentioned Mayfield. We've got Jarvis and Odell. You've got Denzel Ward to play opposite of greedy. Um, you can just sort of go on and on. Miles Garrett on the defensive line. Um, Greg Robinson's your left tackle. It's a bunch of names that people know. Uh, and especially people who follow guys through recruiting in college. So, I think he's on kind of a sexy team to be a part of, at least if uh, he, you know, you could have landed uh, on any of 32 teams. I think that's a nice landing spot for him uh, if he can start early on. Look, Billy, you'll remember because you watch him a good bit uh, on the East Coast with the Redskins playing out there. The Panthers played Dante Jackson as a starter last year, and he was one of the best in the NFL. And I wouldn't say Dante was like some light years better than you know than Greedy was in college. I don't, you know, I think he's faster, but. Uh, I think both of them have enough strengths. If I guess my point is, is if Dante can have an early impact, I think greedy can, and I, I think it's a good fit for him.
0: Yeah. I, I completely agree with you on, on, uh, the whole tackling thing. I think this is somewhere that, you know, teams got turned off by his, his, his deal with not going to meetings or workouts or whatever. Um, look, I mean, Greedy's going to get a good bit of guaranteed money. And he's going to change the life of his family of his family. And we knew that going into this draft. Um, I think the the picking a part of his game was just a little. It was weird. I mean, honestly, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, for a guy that landed on the you know Thorpe Award um, you know finalist list, I mean, this is this is somebody. And he was he's been the best one of the best corners in college football the last two years. It wasn't even just this year where he burst onto the scene. So I thought it was really odd. But I think he goes to like I said, like you said, a great fit. We're kind of splitting hairs though over speed with Dante Jackson and and Greedy Williams. I mean, you know, four three eight from Greedy. I think Dante had what a, I think he ended up with like a four three one. I think was his official time at the combine. Um, obviously, a world class sprinter, but when when you look at that speed difference, it, it, it is kind of different. I I do think uh, Dante has just a little bit more uh, size on him, and especially like his trunk. I think that's where people look at greedy and they see this long athletic guy and just, they kind of look at his trunk sometimes. And they just think that that's, you know, maybe that won't hold up, but that's me thinking, I guess maybe they could have found some, something about durability there, but I, I just, I still didn't get it. It was weird. Um, I will say Redskins open up at Cleveland in the preseason. So Ooh. I'm excited, uh, to go head up there and, and see greedy. And, um, obviously OBJ and, and Jarvis, um, Uh, in the preseason. They probably won't play much, though. I don't think OBJ and Jarvis will get too much time. Greedy will play. Oh, yeah. Greedy will play a lot. Um, But, yeah, so I I thought that was just an interesting situation for Greedy, but lands in the second round a good spot for him. One more uh, that went in the draft for LSU was, I think when you think of the Oakland Raiders and the Raider mentality, I think Foster Moreau, for being a, a guy out of Jesuit New Orleans, fits a little bit better than people think in, in that Raider mentality. What do you think? What do you say?
1: Yeah, he's gritty. I I mean I like the pick. He's gonna be the type that's motivated, no matter where he would have gone, um, to kind of really make his mark. And and remember in a year he'll be in Vegas. So uh it'll be foster more of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um but anyhow, I think the thing that jumped out to me here is that you knew a few teams, and the Raiders were mentioned as a team that wanted a tight end to the draft, uh, liked him, but you didn't know where he would go because his production—and I don't know if that's—it's not all his fault—would uh, put him at the back end of the tight ends. His testing and what he showed at the Senior Bowl, he was the best tight end at the Senior Bowl. It wasn't close, and then what we saw from him at the NFL Combine made him the second most athletic tight end behind Noah Fant, who went with the number twenty overall pick. So you've got this sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. And you wondered where would he fall in between? And it's sort of right there in between, right? Like the fourth round. And um, some people thought he could be a late third rounder. That was great optimism. Others said he's probably a fourth, fifth, sixth round type guy. He goes off in the fourth to the Raiders. And with Jared Cook not there anymore, and he was their leading, not tight end receiver, he was the leading receiver on the team last year. uh, They lose basically all of the production there. Um, And they've got a couple of guys, a 31-year-old, a 28-year-old, who are your blocking type of tight ends. And I know people think blocking tight end with Foster, but I think he's really both, right? Like, he's athletic enough to where he can get out and catch the football. Um, So I think that he can make an impact there where one of those guys probably gets let go and you just choose to, you know, kind of carry one of the older vet guys, whether to help us blocking tight end or on special teams or uh, whatever it might be. And then the other guy they have on their roster is a 26-year-old who missed all of 2017 on a PED suspension, missed most of last year. The Raiders picked him up at the end, and I think he played in four games, and he caught five or six passes. And he's one of those, look, he's athletic, he's got upside, but is he going to keep his head on straight? That's sort of an open door for Foster Morrow to use the next four or five months, make the coaching staff fall in love with him, uh, earn some reps early in the season. And I'm not saying he's going to be a go-to guy, but... I'm saying that if you turn on the Raiders on Sunday this year, midway through the season and on, I bet you will see uh, a good amount of Foster Morrow out there.
0: Yeah, great great point, Shay. I mean, the opportunity sometimes with these guys is is all they need. I mean, you can go to a team where you you think, okay, all right, you know, maybe it'll be kind of a process, but or, you know, they take a they take a high higher choice guy, you know, ahead of you, but look, there's opportunity on on the Raiders and that's a team that is going to go through a lot of changes. And hey, how about this? Foster's going to be living in Vegas here in a couple of years.
1: I know, isn't that fun? That's what, that's what I'm saying. Foster Moro in Vegas. I, uh, whoo, watch out. Watch I, I out. I have to
0: go out and see him.
1: Um, yeah, let's go get some, yeah, let's get some, uh, season tickets. That's what we need season tickets.
0: <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. Um, the, the rest of the, uh, NFL draft goes without an LSU player being taken. Um, any you want to highlight that went undrafted that, that signed elsewhere?
1: Well, I mean, big shout out to Brissett getting picked up by the Patriots. Um, and they've got, they've got a bunch of running backs. I'm curious if he can land on the practice squad. Um, but I do look, we saw him go from <clears throat> no touchdowns in his career, never had more than 19 carries, and now he's a thousand plus yard back. And um, he still holds the, the record for most touchdowns ever. Uh, in Louisiana high school football history. I think it was like in the 150s uh, or high 140s. So he's got talent. Uh, and, and look, I'm rooting for him to make the roster at least uh, land in there, uh, you know, in the club somewhere. Um, obviously, Garrett Brumfield went to the Steelers, another U-High kid uh, out of this draft to, to land on an NFL roster, and John Battle up in New York. And what New York's got, John Battle, Jamal Adams, Richard Robinson at corner. They've got Uh, at least this spring and summer we'll have a nice little LSU uh, contingent in that group. But uh, I'm sort of all eyes still on Cole Tracy. I know he's got a couple of workouts coming up. Um, I know he's got the Saints in a couple of weeks. Uh, The Saints have a kicker, obviously. Uh, But just with how kickers are in the NFL and how quickly teams can uh, realize you get cold and and you're cut, uh, I think he's got to find a landing spot, whether it's now, whether it's in the summer. Uh, or whether at some point in the fall, I I just, I refuse to believe that the guy that I saw this year, who I know in the NFL, you've got guys like Justin Tucker who are kicking it 65 yards and are accurate as hell. Like I totally get that, but there's 32 teams somewhere in there. I feel like there's a spot uh, for a guy who's consistent a guy who is uh, the most uh, accurate, I guess you should say the most uh, has hit the most field goals in the history of NCAA at all levels, at all combined levels. So um, I don't know, uh, maybe he gets picked up in the next couple of weeks. Maybe it's later, but I think he gets a crack somewhere along the way.
0: No, I, I think so too. And, and quickly shifting gears, we only got a couple, couple minutes left. Shay, uh, quick thoughts. We haven't talked to you since it happened. Looking back, Scott Woodward gets hired by LSU in an amazingly quiet, um, efficient fashion as they move on from Joe Oliva as their athletic director, couple thoughts on, on the hire and then we'll close this baby down.
1: Well, I mean it's we've talked about it a ton on the boards in this you know podcast y'all did, the radio, um, but uh, the site. I think that it's you've got a guy who, in a state of Louisiana, right politics and academics and athletics are so intertwined and, and it can also be often um, very difficult for someone to navigate that. and, and I think we saw that with Oliva, Um and I think that was certainly one of his downfalls is he didn't quite uh, have sort of everyone. Uh, working together in the same direction uh, and couldn't figure out how to untangle that web and uh, for a guy like Scott uh, Woodward to come in and and be the new AD and uh, not only have gone to school at LSU uh, but have worked in the department before uh, to have worked in athletics here before uh, to have worked in politics in the state before to have sort of connections all across the board to where it feels like he's sort of universally backed and, and that's what you want out of your AD and and then, A, he's a front-of-the-room, rah-rah uh, type of guy. He's going to be very in- involved with the fan base. We know he's uh, tight with Mark Emmert, who uh, obviously is uh, a very, very, very important man when it comes to the NCAA. Uh, and he's proven it before. He had a nice tenure at Washington. He goes to A&M, and he hires them Jimbo Fisher. Uh, and then they get Buzz to come in as the basketball coach, and uh, he leaves them in great hands with the football and basketball programs. So, there's no real reason to believe that this isn't going to work out. And the fact that they were able to get it done, like you said, quickly, efficiently, in and out, uh, and moving forward, uh, I thought was impressive. There's no reason for LSU fans not to feel good about this.
0: Yeah, perfectly said. And, and uh, I agree. Uh, just covering that, that was, it was something else. And, and seeing it all come together as quickly as it did um, is just a credit to the people involved to, to get it done. I mean, huge hire for LSU. And, um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this, how this thing, uh, rolls along as he gets his claws into the athletic department and, and starts, you know, really reviewing everything and, and kind of, I'm sure he'll have some changes to make and, and some different things, uh, ahead for the entire department. But Shay, that's, that's all we have uh, time for today. So I want to thank you for, for jumping on the pod with me and, and, uh, breaking down what was, uh, really a crazy, uh, crazy week, weekend uh, of LSU.
1: It was fun. It was fun. I'm, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to be a guest next time uh, for the next episode of the pod. This is something we're going to keep doing way more consistently than we ever did before. So I'm kind of excited about it.
0: Yeah, me too. It will be it will be nice to chat. And, and you know, we, we talk on the phone pretty much every day, but it, it is nice to just kind of, you know, just take some of those conversations and just you know, throw them out onto the airwaves and, and see uh, see what people think.
1: Yeah, why don't you go edit all this down for us, Billy, and make a story out of it. This is the part where Billy goes to work right here.
0: (laughs) Okay, here we go. Uh, Well, you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and uh, listen uh, towards the end of the week. We'll roll another one out as uh, we continue on really following this LSU recruiting class and and what they're doing. And um, one thing we didn't talk about today on the pod, but we'll talk about later this week, is um, Will Wade and the LSU basketball program they could be on the way to getting some big news soon. We'll talk about that on next on the next edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. So thanks for joining us on the pod, guys. Again, leave us a, ra- a rating and a review and subscribe to the pod. Have a great rest of the week, everyone.